Hello, listeners. I'm Zach, and I'm Valina, and we're just a couple of horror fans making a horror podcast. Welcome to this house was never meant to be a podcast. We're going to be covering all of the horror anthology shows that we can get our hands on, and today we're going to be continuing Tales from the Dark Side with the episode "It All Comes Out in the Wash." We're going to be shaking it up just a little bit today, guys. We're going to kind of fast forward through the plot recap of this episode because there is a lot to unpack in this episode and not much actually happens within the confines of the episode itself. Yeah, you remember the episode Answer Me where the main woman just talks herself the entire time and very little is actually physically happening other than her talking to herself? Mm-hmm. Well, if you don't, that's what happens in the episode and that is basically what happens in this episode. For the yes. most part, it's just watching this dude talking on the phone or to himself or to his bird. But he doesn't even leave his office half the time. Exactly. So that's why we're going to speed forward a little bit through it. So we're going to cover the highlight reel of it, so to speak. Yeah, and then we'll really start digging into the things that get said and what that reveals about the character. Because really, this episode is a character-building exercise. Mm -hmm. So it really is just trying to show you who this man is and what he sort of becomes through the events of the episode. And we're going to be getting into that more than we're going to be getting into, like, everything he says. Because it's all dialogue. So, Valina, why don't you debrief us on who is the star-studded actor... In this episode. (laughs) Okay. He's in this episode for maybe a grand total of five entire wonderful golden minutes. But it's James Hong. That's right. If you don't know his name, you certainly have seen and or heard him before. He's in over 200 films, shows, and games. Yes. I'm only going to mention two of them. (laughs) The ones that I know him best from. And you probably do too. One is he played the main villain, Lopan, from Big Trouble in Little China, which is like an 80s or 90s. It's like 80s. 80, it's like this parody action movie. It's hilarious. It stars, um, what's his face? Kurt, Kurt Russell, Russell as the sort of main character. It's really great. And it's really silly and just off the wall, like kung fu kind of a joke movie. It's really great. And yeah, James Hong is the main villain in that. And he also played Mr. Ping, which is Poe's father in Kung Fu Panda. That's right. And there are other people in this episode, but I'll be danged if I can remember a single one of them (laughs) because James Hong is in this episode. Yes. Unfortunately, no one else matters. I will tell you who they are. They do. They do matter. They're not. They don't not matter. So we have our main character, Carl Gropper, Carl Groper. Uh, he's played by Vince Edwards and he comes across as like this Italian mafioso kind of guy. And he may or may not have been that in his heyday. I know he was like a big star in the 1950s and 1960s. That is not my realm of expertise. Then there's also the secretary who is played by Ellen Winthrop. And I'm pretty sure she actually plays in very little outside of this. And, of course, we have the voice that we hear on the phone but never actually see. And this character, Sam, is played by Philip Roth. I'm going to tell you right now, I can't pronounce his character's name to save my life. I will probably be referring to him as Sam. And anything that begins with the letter L or M, I will guarantee to mess it up. Zachy has a good handle on how to pronounce his name, but I just don't. Sam Larchmont. 
Yeah, like I just my brain my I hear Marchmont. I that's what I heard the entire time. It was like Marchmont. To be fair, it's very easy to mishear it like that. Yeah, like I don't know what if they just don't enunciate well or my ears don't enunciate well, but I could not hear that for the life of me. And the closest I could come was Lamarchant. <laughs> you know, Lamarchant configuration. You know, the I, Rubik's cube from hell. Exactly. I mean, we don't know if this guy isn't the creator of Lamarchand's configuration, but there's just no proving he is or is not. But mm-hmm. anyhow, that is our cast. They may be stars, but when one of them is James Hong, it's like trying to see the stars out when the sun is up. Yeah. It's just they don't compare. Yeah, like this whole episode is really just about James Hong, and then there's like other people in it. Unfortunately, he wasn't as long as we, he should have been. He should have just been the main character, like, the entire time. And he is the main character in our hearts. Yes. Also, there's a cute little bird named Eagle. Yeah. It's a parakeet, a green one. Enough gropping around the bush. Let's dive into this episode. It all comes out in the wash. So, this episode opens on a dingy alleyway, and Carl Gropper bumps into a dude and steers him down while he goes into the shop. And then he goes into the shop, and there seems to be nobody there, but you can kind of hear a TV in the back. So he kind of walks up and knocks on the counter like, hey, uh, anyone here? And then Chow Ting comes out from the back. He's like, I'm sorry to keep you waiting. And everyone Uh, just poops their pants. The entire theater applauded. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Okay. He walks on and then he tells them that he's sorry to keep them waiting. They had a very good reason. There's a show called Wheel of Fate. And that a woman from Modesto, California had, what was it, like half a million dollars on the line? And it came down to the spin of a wheel to see if she like won it. a million it. dollars. Some large amount of money. And then Carl's like, uh, do you do the laundry? And he's like, yes. But don't you want to know about this woman from Modesto who, who'd win a millions? He's like very offended that... <laughs> This man does not care about this reality game show he's watching. And he actually alludes to the fact that he doesn't care because he's pretty well off. Mm-hmm. And of course, Chow Ting comes up with this sort of snide response, which is, oh, how far did it for you? <laughs> that he's, you know, well off. And it's like, same. <laughs> you know, that feeling of not contempt exactly, but being told that money is not a problem for you at all to someone when who's When you're like, struggling. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, like oh, oh, gee, just flaunting. Must be nice. Yeah, exactly. Just flaunting it right in front of your face. So, he ends up bringing up that Sam Larchmont, I'm just trying to emphasize the last name, <laughs> that Sam Larchmont had referred him to Chow Ting. And Chow Ting is like, mm, yeah, he's a nice guy, but you can kind of see it on his face. He's like, I shouldn't be hearing the name again. Mm-hmm. So, what he does is he asks for the special service and Chow Ting is like, Okay, he tells them that the prices are very expensive, and that's where the whole, oh, money's not an issue. And then after that, he hands him, like, a proof of financial uh, financial statement? Yeah, so he can verify that he can afford his prices. And just so y'all know, (laughs) the prices of his special service is, like, $100 for a non-silk tie. And this is to clean them, mind you. Mm -hmm. $150. For a silk tie, and it just goes up in the hundreds of dollars from there. To so, the thousands at the yeah, end of it. Yeah, to the thousands. Having a um a linen sheet, it costs a thousand dollars to be washed. Mm-hmm. And the delivery and pickup by itself is two thousand dollars. 
And when you find out later that one of the terms of the arrangement for this special service is delivery only. Mm -hmm. So by signing up for this service, you immediately agree to pay that $2,000 of pickup and delivery. So it's not like you can just go to the laundromat and dump it off or whatever. They have to be the ones to pick it up and deliver it to you. Mm -hmm. So that's just a $2,000 flat right there, even for the silk tie, which is like 150 bucks. Needless to say, it's expensive, even for them. I mean, it's expensive by nowadays standards. Okay, it's expensive. This is good. It's expensive. <laughs> it's expensive. But it is not expensive to Carl. Money is not an issue for him. And then he asks about how they do it. And that is immediately a red flag for Chow Ting. And he immediately cuts him off and say, never ask that question. That is one of the terms of our agreement. You must never ask how we do this. You are never to return to this place. We will deliver and we will know when to pick up. Yeah, we will pick up and deliver according to your needs. And we will know. And then he actually asks, well, how the heck will you know? And he gets mad and like, you don't ask how we do it. Then Carl asks if they really can do what they say they do and wash away sins. And Chow Ting reassures him that the motto is that Chow Ting's laundry Everything comes out in the wash, I think it is. It's not the title. That's an important thing that I noticed with that, that we both kind of noticed, Belina noticed first, that they don't drop the name of the title of the episode anywhere in the episode. Well, technically speaking... It's like alluded to? No, no, no. It's written on the price list that Chow Ting hands to Carl. But he doesn't say it out loud. He says everything comes out in the wash, but the actual logo and the title of the episode is It All Comes Out in the Wash, which is just kind of like a little interesting mistake. <laughs> well, I think that It All Comes Out in the Wash is a fairly common saying. I don't know why, but it seems to refer to that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this episode is what I'm assuming taking that to a literal sense. Or a less literal sense, more of like an abstract Said instead of like all these stains and filth will come out in the wash, it's like the stains of your soul will come out in the wash. I think that's legit what the saying is referring to. Is it? Is it like referring I don't to a know baptism why. or something? Maybe? I'm not sure. Ultimately, Chow Ting says that all of this needs to be done in cash. Because as much as he likes the free enterprise system in the United States, the one thing he doesn't like is credit cards. And honestly, I don't like credit cards either. <laughs> So we're in that same boat together. But, uh, I just want to spend the money I have. Why do I got to spend money I don't have? <laughs> and then the final point that you cannot tell another soul about this arrangement, this whole laundry thing. And that is the final one that he brings up. And ultimately they agree, though Carl Gropper attempts to call it a deal, but Chow Ting corrects it to an agreement. Which I feel in a legal sense changes. He says arrangement, not agreement. I meant that. But my point is that it feels like it's a legal technicality of the difference between the two of them that leads to different terms. Like how much leniency there is in breaking any one of those rules. I mean, I guess so, but it's not like really legal. It's all just, there's no like legal things about it. It's literally a laundry service that they just shake over. Nothing's in writing. So I don't really know why he uses it. I kind of think the reason he does not like the word deal is that I think a deal is somewhat demonic. I guess mm. I'll say you make a deal with the devil, you know, 
and he's not about that. He's trying to make this feel more mundane. It's just a laundry service. Sure, it washes away sins, but this is really just a service I'm providing. Mm -hmm. I think that's what he's trying to get at, and he doesn't like the word deal because that it kind of emphasizes that mystical quality of the service, and I think he's trying to get away from it. Yeah, I think that's one way to look at it. I think another way, in my personal opinion, deal is a one-and-done kind of thing, whereas an arrangement is an ongoing thing. I guess so. I mean, either way, it's just like the smallest bit of detail on this because this is just the opening scene. We are sucking every amount <laughs> of meaning that we can from James Hong's scenes like as we possibly can. Every little thing he says and does, we are going to get into, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is, I mean, by far the best character, of course, but like he's very interesting too. And then the two of them shake on the arrangement. And then that's the last we see of him in the flesh. Yeah. I mean, which is a huge his, disappointment. Yeah. We do hear his voice later. And even that is really awesome. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is the last we see of him. Yeah. So at an indiscernible amount of time between that point and this scene, we see Carl Gropper at his desk in his office and get comfortable, folks, because we're going to be here for a while. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, this is the last place we'll ever see in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so he's sitting there on his desk and Mr. Larchmont calls him and he picks up the phone. He's like, hey, glad you referred me to Chow Ting. I've told him you sent me. And he's like, what? <laughs> and he's like, oh, you remember you were on like your 11th martini and you told me about Chow Ting where it all comes out in the wash. And Mr. Larchmont's like, you better not say anything if word gets out about this. Now, that's a very interesting thing that he says if word gets out. Because Carl told Sam that he told Chow Ting that Sam told him about the laundry service, the special one. And, of course, Chow Ting was not happy with the fact that Sam would have told anyone else about that special service. Which makes me wonder how he gets people in there. But Sam was really horrified when Carl actually said that he told him. Because he's all like, Carl, you didn't tell him, did you? And then Carl's all like, oh, his face lit up when I mentioned your name. And it's like, uh, no, it didn't. His face actually fell. Like, the, the grin was wiped right off his face when he heard that he was referred to them by someone else and Mm -hmm. that's not a good thing and it's all just kind of a tactic by carl to just kind of make everything he did seem completely Mm a-okay when it totally wasn't Mm -hmm. so sam is like immediately horrified now after that is established he says if this gets out and i'm not really sure what he means by that because supposedly this service that Chow Ting provides is very, very secretive. It is a very secret service. So if anyone found out that Sam is using Chow Ting for his laundry, what would that do? What does that mean? Like, no one knows. If they knew what Chow Ting was doing, they'd be like, oh, he's using him. He's probably washing away guilt because he's an evil son of a gun. But... They don't know that. As far as anyone but these two guys and possibly other maybe evil businessmen know is that this is a normal laundromat. So what does he mean by if this gets out? Straight up, 
I have no clue. <laughs> like, it's just one of those things, oh, why did he say that? No one knows. Is he not supposed to be using a laundromat? Does he have his own laundry? And it would just be weird if... I think it might refer to the idea that, like, he'd be going to this place to get guilt removed. And clearly, if you're going to get guilt removed, you must be doing something really bad mm-hmm. to warrant that. Yeah. You don't remove stuff you like. Exactly. <laughs> Wait a minute. You don't, you don't remove stuff you're proud of. <laughs> stuff I like. (laughs) So after that, Larchmont hangs up and then... Says the weirdest thing ever. What what was the exact phrasing? It was, my life's a pile of sand and he throws me a shovel. Like, what? Like, I have not the faintest clue what he means. His life is a pile of sand and Sam is handing him a shovel because he was afraid on the phone. Like I don't think too hard. I know. Don't of think too so hard. You're gonna hurt yourself. So many idioms I've, and like it's just one like of that. those ones. But it's like just a I mind have bender. not the faintest. Like Carl, in multiple occasions during this episode, says weird stuff that I do not know what the heck he means by it. This is the first one. I'm like, what does he mean by that? If I think of sand and being handed a shovel, I mean, no joke. I straight up think, oh, we're making sand castles. I mean, why else would you have sand and a shovel in the same place? To it's dig. Not like it's dirt. My life is a pile of dirt and he hands me a shovel. That would make me think, okay, so you're going to make the pile bigger, perhaps? You're digging your own grave? Like, I don't really understand because the pile of dirt doesn't mean that there's a hole. I mean, the pile of sand, at least. But, like, dirt might make you think there's a hole. Sand, it just makes me think of sand castles. This is one of those things you're just going to have to not dig too deep <laughs> into. I guess. My life is a pile of sand, after all. Yeah. There's a shovel. <laughs> So he gets a phone call from his... It's not a phone call from his secretary. It's like an intercom or something. Yeah. I don't know what the term is for patching someone in, I guess. I, Under, I It's like some weird little pressed, technology, I guess. Like yeah, he presses he, a button on his desk that is connected to his telephone, but it just talks to the secretary in the other room. I mean, I'm pretty sure I might have seen this in old sitcoms. I know for a fact Before. I've seen it in the Spider-Man movies, the uh, Sam Raimi ones. Oh, dang, really? It's not yeah. that old? Yeah, J. Jonah Jameson uses it. Oh, that's weird. I have no idea what it is. Yeah, it might work for just these walkie-talkies. <laughs> so he gets a call from his son, and so we'll just kind of skip through this a little quickly because there's a lot of information packed in here, so we'll just kind of quickly go through. His secretary goes in to fill in the graphs, the profits, and it's just skyrocketing after this whole thing with Chow Ting. And then he calls his son on the phone. His son is upset because they club baby seals at their work, and he tells them, quit crying. The coats look better on ladies than they do on fat seals. That jerk kid that you know... Who told uh, you this? ...is... He mad just, because I put his daddy on the bread line. And hey, if you bring me a piece of his nose, like, I'll double your allowance. Like, he then hangs up. He takes his shirt off to get the guilt out. And then the secretary says, you have a very interesting chest. Question mark. Yeah, um, she's a weirdo. I don't know. And then he says, so do you. Get out of here. Oh, <laughs> you know what? She says that because he's like taking his shirt off. Well, yes. He's taking, he's, he's wearing a tank top underneath. But why you have an interesting chest? What kind of a statement is that? Unless I, you want it to be bounced back at you. Yeah. I, I don't know. I kind of feel like maybe he's just taking his shirt off for no reason. And maybe she feels super awkward and comfortable and just trying to think of something to say. And that's like the first thing that pops into her mouth. She does have a very confused expression on her face. 
So quite honestly, it could be that just confusion is coming out of her. So she's like, uh, you have a very interesting chest. Like, at first I thought she was maybe trying to seduce him or thinking he was trying to seduce her. But she doesn't look like that's necessarily what she's thinking. Mm -hmm. She literally just looks very confused. So it kind of sounds like that just comes out of her mouth because she has no idea what else to say. And also, she was just watching him say really hideously awful things to his 10-year-old son, mind you. So I don't think she's really in the mood for loving from this guy. Yeah. But she's a kind of funny character. She has like her own mini, almost invisible character arc. If you see her as thinking your boss is not so horrible, then growing to not like him at all near the end. Mm-hmm. So she tells him that Chow Ting called. And that he is doubling the prices due to increased labor cost. And Carl Gropper says, oh, again? And after that, he basically asks her to get the missus something that blooms and has thorns. I don't know why it needed to be in a riddle, but uh, (laughs) that's how he goes about it. Okay, Poison Ivy it is. And then he calls a guy named Mr. Winger. As far as we can tell, this is his lawyer. So keep that piece in mind as we go about this section of information. He talks to his lawyer about serving the divorce papers to Mrs. Gropper, but not today because it's her birthday and he's all heart. And then apparently his lawyer on the phone must say, Don't you feel any guilt? Because Carl responds in the most answer me kind of way where it's like, He's telling you exactly what he was just told or asked and is answering in a way that, well, it literally encompasses it. So it's It's incorporating the question in the answer. Yeah, it's really, really annoying. Like, I really hate it. He responds with like, guilt? I don't have any guilt or remorse. (laughs) It's just so much exposition. It's like he could have said that. In any other way. No, I don't feel guilty about that. Why should I? That would have been more natural. Like, a lot of his conversation comes off as extremely stilted because he is incorporating whatever the person on the phone is supposed to be saying into his answer. And it's just not how human beings speak. So, apparently his lawyer is also a hitman. So, he sends him to go have Mr... Tim... Tim... Timmy? Jimmer? Tim... Jimmy? Tim Chimchery? I think I think his name is Tim or Jim or something. It's Joe. It's Joe. His son is Tim. What? But that's irrelevant. The father of the kid who mentioned the baby seals being clubbed by the business, that guy who he put on the breadline, he has someone turn him to ashes and make him a lousy memory. Oh, it's Joe Timmer. (laughs) Timmer. (laughs) Well. All these names are really weird in this episode. I'm just going to state that. Mm -hmm. But after he arranges the hit on Mr. Joe Timber. Not Timber. Timmer. He pulls a drawer open and inside the drawer is a rotary phone. Yeah, he just like has a phone just stuffed in his drawer when he was just talking on the phone. (laughs) I just, I guess, you know, but like. They're going to see the cord coming out of the drawer, out of the desk, into the wall. It's going to be very difficult to hide. Yeah, that's, they're going to see the phone cord, you know? It's it's not like it's wireless, so uh, it's just weird. He pulls open the drawer, gets the drawer phone out, 
and he makes a call and it's apparently to Mrs. Larchmont, his best friend, Sam Larchmont's wife, whom he mentions that Sam Larchmont loves him and he loves him back like a brother, but he also happens to love his wife. And so he says in a very kind of quick succession and just quickly describing to us not yes. only what she is saying, but also their relationship. Yeah, he like literally describes their entire history together, like just in the first few sentences of his greeting to her on the phone. Literally, he says, oh, of course I love Sam, but I also happen to love his wife. And then he goes on to say, like... Oh, you know, a usual spot and this and that. Like, Yeah, yeah. It's like, what? We go to our usual spot so we can, like, have dinner and some hanky-panky. And it's like, <laughs> who speaks like that? You wouldn't tell someone over the phone, hey, let's do it. You, that would just be assumed if you're having an affair already. And the FBI agent that's listening on the phone is just like, oh. <laughs> I just, it's so <laughs> dumb. Like, I I just, it's so stupid. Like, Hello, girlfriend of whom I love and date on the weekends because that's the time that we both are off work. Yeah, like, hello, wife of my best friend who is my mistress. Let's go have our affair at our usual spot. I just, it's so, that is like literally how bad it is. It is so directly telling us what's happening that they're forgetting that that is not how normal people speak. And it sounds so ridiculous. I know, it's so funny. And I feel like this is the most egregious example of this occurring in the episode. But But at the very least, there's other actors in it. And I'll Mm. give it that over answer me. Where yeah. it's just her talking to herself. Yeah. At least. Yeah, at least he's talking <laughs> on the phone, you know? He's uh-huh. actually trying to pretend he's interacting with other human beings while she was just having entire monologues just by herself. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like he doesn't do this, but I got to hand it to him. This particular actor does a really good job at trying to make these very unnatural sentences sound more natural. Exactly. And I feel like it's really helped by his kind of mafioso, like tone of voice and it's that it's that bronx flair or whatever it was i don't even know but he does a good job at trying to make it natural i mm-hmm. mean but it's so bad it is not natural but his performance is at least better it's just not as hammy as the girl from answer me and, and again speaking of unnatural once he finishes the call with her you know just arranging the date that they usually go on mm-hmm. he pulls open a drawer and he pulls out this diamond encrusted necklace like there isn't a square inch of necklace that is metal that's holding these jewels in he must have gone in with crazy glue and just glued gems into a necklace and he takes it and he takes it over to eagle the parakeet that's in the corner of the room of which he had threatened during the phone call oh yeah he threatened his 10 year old child that if he did not stop crying over the seals that he clubs to take their fur coats that he would take it out on the crummy bird you got me for father's day and this kid is 10 he's 10 years old this is like the most horrible thing ever and he even said this in front of the secretary Yes. Which is why she was like giving him like a weird look. So he shows the necklace and he also states something very weird. You like it, Eagle? Uh, diamond is forever, give or take. What? Give or take what? It's forever. Like, give or take a uh, You date? know, Google? Give or take a forever? 
Like you're taking a diamond? What is he referring to? That's such a bizarre. It's like, a, it's like the the closest to infinity that is an actual number is Google. It's like Google, but instead of like a G L E, it's G O L, and it's one of the largest mathematical numbers that you can actually oh. get to before it's just a nonsense number like infinity. Hmm. It's possibly one of those. <laughs> I just I... Other than that, we have no clue. <laughs> what is that even supposed to mean? Yeah, it's just a weird thing to say, give or take. E forever? Like give or t- forever in a day? It it's just weird. What and why would he even say that to the bird? Like, you know, <laughs> what would just I don't know. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, why would you say things to Gatsby? It's just Oh no. It's no. just one of those things that you just do. Just the weird I mean, I didn't mean why is he talking to the bird? And like, I like that. Like, of course you would talk to your bird. Like the girl from Snip Snip with her crow or wait, it was like a blackbird. It, it was a magpie. A magpie or whatever the heck it was. She was talking to it all the time, which is very cute. Talking mm-hmm. to your bird. It kind of humanizes you as a character. But yeah, so I, I don't know why he said give or take though. It's just one of those weird things he says. And he's not even done. Yeah. <laughs> At least saying weird things. So he then, I, didn't, I think he puts away the necklace. He like and just the, sits on his desk, I think. And then he goes to change his shirt. And constantly. during this, he mentions, oh, you know what? I finally like me. Yeah, we will talk about that more in depth later. But it's a very notable line that he says. He says, I finally like me. And keep in mind, he's changing into a new shirt. And, okay, I don't know if we mentioned this before. But with the pickup and delivery, he had the laundry being delivered and picked up from his office. Mm-hmm. So there's always a bunch of t-shirts and bags of t-shirts at his workplace. And he's constantly changing into them. So he's changing into one of them as he's talking. And I feel like every time he does something that makes him feel particularly guilty, he will change into a new shirt. And I don't know if that's because he's literally going to go sleep with his mistress on his wife's birthday and give her like a diamond necklace when he only sends his wife roses. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. And divorce papers. And divorce papers the following day. <laughs> uh... Like, I don't really know why he's changing his shirt then and there. I feel like the worst thing he did was say those horrible things to his son. And he changed his shirt. And then after he's talking about his mistress, he changes his shirt again. And it's like, that's not really a shirt changing scenario. He also arranged a hit right before that. Oh, that's true. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he did. Speaking of the hit, he starts saying like, you know, maybe I'm being a bit too harsh on Joe Timmer. And then he like starts to button the shirt and he's like, nah, you know what? Murder builds character and child tangle deal with the fallout. Mm-hmm. Other strange statement. What does he mean by the fallout? Actually, I think I know what the fallout is because he says that. And um, when he says the word fallout, he actually looks down at the shirt. So what he means is guilt. Okay. So the fallout is the guilt he would feel because he says it builds character and child tangle deal with the fallout. So his character's going to be building without any negative consequences you know, on himself. When I initially watched the episode, I thought that Murder Build's character was actually a reference to Joe Timmer's son. The murder building character was for his son Gosh. to deal with the murder. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that makes a different kind of context for that. Mm-hmm. Then once he rebuttons his shirt, he's like, oh, dang, I'm running out of clothes. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does Chow Ting know when to pick up and deliver? He stopped picking up as much. So I'm going to call him. Why wouldn't you want me to not call him if if he's putting his phone number on the price list? Why would he do that if he didn't want me to call him? So he picks up the phone and he's like, hello, Chow Ting. Oh, answering machine. Yes, I'll wait for the beep. Beep. 
you know <laughs> and it's just like oh my god just one of those things it's like you don't you just said answering machine if you were to speak in a way that sounds clearly like you're not responding to anyone we're going to know you're leaving a message you didn't have to say that there was a beep for crying out loud <laughs> mm-hmm. and so he tells him that he needs to have his laundry picked up and then he basically just hangs up <laughs> and he makes a weird statement after that that I can't remember too well. It was like, you never give me enough time. But the way he words this, it almost makes me think he's responding to Chow Ting. Like, he was talking to Chow Ting, and he said, oh, you're not ready yet, and we don't have enough time, right? But we literally know that he just got the answering machine, so he's leaving a message. So why in the world did he say that? It's, because it's a mystery. He has plenty of time. I mean, it's after Chow- all, his life is a pile of sand. <laughs> But it's like, it's Chow Ting who doesn't have any time because he's got all the work to do because he keeps changing his shirts like every five minutes. And speaking of Chow Ting, it says to himself, Chow Ting is probably going to punish me. And that's kind of ambiguous, actually. Then we get a bit of a time jump again. Like the next it's a commercial break, so? but it's an unknown amount of time. Yeah, yeah. There's an amount of time that changes. Un- I want to believe it's a month because uh... his chart in the background is set by months. And you see the secretary filling up the month profit from the last one to the next. Hmm. So I'm assuming it's at least a month. See, I don't think so because of the newspaper. Because the next scene opens with like a newspaper saying that Joe Timmer's body was found or whatever, that he's dead or that he was murdered. But I feel like that wouldn't have been a full month afterward. I feel like that would be like a week or so at best. Mm -hmm. So... I feel like it probably wasn't a whole month, but yes, yeah, I really don't know. On top of that, the scene continues with him talking to people on the phone like, no, we were good friends. Our kids play together. But, you know, an opportunity is an opportunity to claim all the stock, right? Yeah. And he then tells the secretary to send the wife of Joe Timmer some more flowers. And she says, you sent her five wreaths already. And he's like, well, send her another one. And, yeah. and send the boy something like a stuffed animal, like a teddy bear. And she's like, that's inappropriate. Yeah, she was like really offended at that. At that point, she's just no patience with yeah, him. Yeah, she's like disgusted with him. Mm-hmm. She just really, this is like the final straw for her. She's like, you know what? This guy is a monster. Yeah, so he goes on a bit with a, the stuffed animal. Like, oh, put a black ribbon around his wrist and say. It's from Uncle oh, Carl. Uncle Carl. And- God, that's like sickening because he murdered that child's dad that Mm -hmm. child is without a father because of him and he's sending him like a teddy bear that says from your uncle carl like think about how sick that is i just you know it's just it's just really sick i mean even without it him being the murderer i don't necessarily know if it is inappropriate but it probably is considering he went and bought up all the stocks you Mm -hmm. know so he's this kind of predator to begin with in terms of being a vulture, just going in there when someone's dead to just scoop up all of their assets and whatnot. So he's just pretty bad to begin with and might even be putting his wife out of business by buying everything that he had once owned. Mm-hmm. I feel like that there's probably something that would prevent that. Like if you own something, it's probably not immediately set to the public to be able to buy. I mean, not that I know how the stock market works, but I feel like those would be inherited. Why would you allow your family to go utterly bankrupt because some business vulture swoops in? Because it's left out of the will. But why would it be? Those are assets. Assuming you didn't even make one to begin with. But why Why wouldn't he? Like, if you're that big of a businessman, chances are. And it's not Probably like didn't dudes, expect to die young. Well, dude, he's not that young. Like, if he's, that the old. Same, if he's the same age as our main character, he's at least, what, 50 at the very least? I don't know how old this man is. 
50, 60. I'm a horrible judge of age. He could be a thousand. I really don't know. <laughs> he could be 20 years. No, he's not 20 years old. <laughs> I know that much at least. But it just feels kind of weird. I don't know how it works. And maybe, they, uh, maybe they're just counting on us not knowing how it works. Just to make him seem like more of a vulture. Even if it's not technically a possible thing that business people can do. Mm. You know what I mean? Just to sort of show what kind of man he is. Yeah, so then he asks if Chow Ting has been making any calls or showing up, and she's like, no, I know a guy is named Ying Fu, and, you know, he actually gets stains out. And he's like, no, stop recommending me laundromats. Get out of here. Yeah, but he also says in regards to her recommendations, yours is not to reason why. What? Like, what does that mean? Yours is not to reason why? It's a very antiquated phrase. But what, what is he talking about? Your, your what? Place. But yours place? The place of yours? Yeah, I, 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 I don't understand it grammatically, and it makes just so little sense. But not to reason why? What does that part mean? Not to reason why. To give logic to? Yes. Like, so is it essentially saying that she should not question his logic or his yes. choices? But why is it worded like that? That bothers the heck out of me. Life is a pile of sand, you know? <laughs> so he uh, is left alone and he's basically talking to himself that he needs to wait out Chow Ting's siege. Yeah. Because Chow Ting is waging a war against yeah, him. Yeah, because after... Because he stopped picking up the laundry and well, tripled his prices. No, and... no, no. This is a bit of a weird situation because I'm not like 100% sure what happened because Carl alludes to the fact that he's being punished by Chow Ting for calling him by having tripled his prices and that Carl, I guess, is refusing to have his laundry picked up at the triple prices. I'm not really sure because everything on Carl's side feels like he's like going on strike, like he's refusing to use the services anymore. But like, that doesn't really make any sense because he keeps expecting him to pick up his stuff. So the only thing I could think of, considering that he must not be in actual communication with Chow Ting because he didn't call him after that. So what is he actually doing? Because here's what we know for certain. Chow Ting, as punishment for him breaking the rule and calling him, is that he tripled the prices. But laundry is not being picked up. And it's not being delivered. So I am very confused as to what the punishment is. Because it was explicitly stated by Carl that it was a tripling of the prices. But why is the laundry not, you know, changing hands here? And Carl seems to be acting as though he is standing his ground against Chow Ting. But what way? <laughs> we'll get there. But, but like, we'll get there. We are right here. We are getting there. Just say, answer me. <laughs> Make me understand. I'm so confused. It's actually in this, believe it or not. Okay, I missed it. I missed. Yes. I watched this like five times. <laughs> I just, I just don't get it. So Larchmont calls Carl, and Carl's like, "Hey, yeah, you know, ESP. I've been meaning to call you." And Sam Larchmont is like, "What did you do?" I'm up to my neck in dirty laundry here. And Carl is like, yeah, I did call him, but I have to, have to triple your prices. And and then Sam is like, it's money. It's only money. And Carl's like, get a hold of yourself. And he just starts like and coughing he's like, and sobbing. <laughs> hangs up. And she's like, Sam Larchmont crying. Dang. <laughs> and, uh, I gotta mention, 
it's dumb, but it's also kind of a good thing that Carl says that like, that he was crying even though we just heard him because it straight up sounds like he's just coughing. Because he starts with a cough and it's really easy to think all he is doing is coughing. So when Carl says, oh, Sam, Larchmont. Larchmont. <laughs> crying. It, it actually does, in fact, confirm he's crying. I just don't know why they didn't But it also, it's it. a twofold one. Because not only is it saying, okay, yeah, he's crying because this could be him, like, hacking his lungs out. But it also gives you a character thing that Sam Larchmont would never cry. Hmm. The fact that he's bawling tells you a lot about what he is going through at this point. Mm-hmm. Okay, now get to the point with what's going on. So, is it that... We'll get there. Ah, We're working our way to it. On it now! <laughs> so, what ends up happening is Carl ends up having the line cut off on him from Sam's yeah, like side. And after he makes a statement, he says, like, ah, uh, they always do this. They get you hooked, and then they dig the knife in and twist. Yeah, I guess. I'm so hooked on having clean laundry. It's a lot of addiction for you. Oh, yeah. What he does is he kind of lists off the things. You can't come back. You can't call. You you can't tell a soul. And then that is the part that gets him. You can't tell a soul. Oh, my God. That's the secret. Chow Ting wants my immortal soul. And so he calls him up and like, hey, Chow, you don't mind if I call you out Chow, buddy old pal? Listen... You want my soul, you old W? You can have it. Just get my laundry done. <laughs> Bye. And then hangs up. And then he goes to get a drink, and that's right in front of the door. And the uh, secretary opens up the door, and he's standing right in front of it. And he's like, hey, secretary. And she's all like, oh, you're feeling good? And she looks super uncomfortable. Like, her hands actually, the second she opens the door and sees them all happy, and she says, oh, you're feeling good? Her hands come up. She's kind of fidgeting, which I thought was really interesting. It's a very telling gesture, which she Mm -hmm. had not before done. So Mm -hmm. I got to give this girl, like, a lot of credit. Yeah, so he's pretty happy, and she's like, Sam Larchmont's dead. He's like, what? she's like, Sam Larchmont's dead. And he's like, get out of here. And then she leaves, but like not upset at this point because it's like, yeah, he's kind of reasonably upset. Mm. And he wasn't like overly upset at the death of Sam Larchmont. Yeah, she was expecting him to kick her out, you know, because they were really close. So she was like kind of nodding like she understands that why she would have to leave mm-hmm. considering the fact that he was always kicking her out with just mean things like oh evaporate and stuff mm-hmm. like that but this was like a more understandable one he's still not nice about it uh-huh so immediately after that he calls his stockbroker <laughs> and tells him to go after Larchmont stocks and everything <laughs> he can he's just such a monster and then he immediately calls mrs Larchmont. Yeah, Darlene. The one that he had the affair with, everyone. Mm. You know, you, you remember. You're smart cookies. <laughs> um, so he calls her and she's like, uh, you don't hear her. So we're hearing this from his side. But basically, she f- informs him that it was a suicide, that he had left 87 stories, and that the only thing he left was a laundry list. <laughs> And Carl Gropper doesn't know why he would have left a laundry list nervously looking around. And then he hangs up and he's like, ah, if only I could have told Larchmont what Chow Ting was after. You always told me to go for the throat, Sam. I'm sorry that you're dead and I'm not. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of an interesting statement that he said. 
Because I no, feel no. like that's kind of like... He says that actually once he gets off the phone with a stockbroker. He says, immediately after hanging up the phone with the broker, he says, you always told me to go for the throat, Sam. I'm sorry you're dead, but I'm not. Which basically means he has like the tiniest bit of regret that he would immediately go for a stocks, but ultimately doesn't care about it. He's mm. still going to do it. But that's relevant for when he calls Mrs. Larchmont because yeah. she says, you're not going to buy all the stocks, are you? And he's like, no, of course I'm not going to buy all the stocks. What kind of man do you think I am? And he, like, literally just already did. did. <laughs> he, like, literally already did. It's just hilarious. And, of course, just in case we didn't see it very clearly before, the only person when he's on the phone that you ever hear, despite how many conversations he's had, is Sam. You only ever hear his voice. And I think it's because Well, Sam... there's actually three voices you hear. Well, but the secretary doesn't really count. Well, I mean, there is shouting, but... The secretary doesn't really count because she's not really on the phone. She's on, like, that little intercom thingy. And Sam, to be honest with you, I think he is on loudspeaker. Yeah. So you hear his voice. But everyone else is, like, on the phone, so you don't hear their voices at all. So at least they have that excuse. Mm -hmm. But it would have been kind of nice to have multiple voices. But I guess they just didn't want to do that. Yeah. Didn't want to pay extra actors. So he gets a call from the secretary. And she's like, hey, Chow Ting. And he's like, oh, my God, he's here. Send him in. Have him get the laundry. And she's like, he's not here. It's a phone call. Patch it through. And then Chow Ting answers the phone and he's like, oh, you had me on hold. Listen to nice music. Yeah. <laughs> and basically Carl asks, where are you? And Chow Ting's like, I'm at the airport. I'm heading over to Miami. I won the lottery. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> I got a house overlooking a bay in Miami and I'm going to go there with the missus and retire. So... <laughs> He's uh, a man of leisure now. <laughs> that Chow Ting's laundry is out of business. Retired. I hope you take the news of my good fortune better than Mr. Larchmont. He went to pieces. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's such a great line. When he says it, he's clearly smiling. But he also sounds like kind of intimidating when he says that mm -hmm. like it's just it sounds like he knows exactly what happens even though there's no way he could know that sam had killed himself probably immediately after that phone call mm -hmm. so the fact of that is that like i don't know he's just kind of scary it's, weird. Like, it, you it's know, very weird it's intimidating and it's just he's just kind of a creepy way and, he delivers that line it's so good and then there's a puzzling little bit that he leaves the phone call with Goodbye, my friend. And he says, like, oh, sayonara. And he hangs up. And then Carl Gropper is like, sayonara? That's not Chinese. Mm -hmm. Then he kind of loses it. Now that he knows that he will never get his laundry cleaned again. He starts kind of pacing and kind of babbling on about various things that are semi-related. Mm -hmm. And then uh, he get, he starts looking out the window. And he was at the point he starts looking out the window, he had mentioned Ying Fu. Ying Fu with getting the stain out. And then he looks out the window. He's like, you hear that, Eagle? Carl Gropper's going to leave a stain. And then we get a kind of pan shot to a very specific part of the wall that's near the window. And then you see Carl Gropper run past and you hear glass shatter and you hear him screaming as he falls. And then we got a quick shot to Eagle to show that Eagle can fly, but, you know, Carl Gropper can't. <laughs> and then <laughs> we get the final shot of the episode as the kind of semi-intimidating Chinese music plays. It's a shot of... The shot of Chow Ting's face. Yeah. 
It's a shot of Chow Ting's face. On, on the, the, the one that uh, was printed on the list. On the list. And that's the final shot of the episode. I was trying to say James Hong, but I couldn't remember his <laughs> name for some reason. Oh, I gotta say, even though we said we were gonna speed through it, we totally didn't. <laughs> it took the same exact amount of time as last time. So that was us going fast. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't fast, but hey, at least we didn't cover every single word that was said. Exactly, and it's very easy to do because that's really the majority of this. Yeah, I mean, what we can do, describe him like pacing around his office, you know? It's like we could just um, bust out the script and then you just read just it word read, for word, we'll but none of us want that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just be like a, a commentary on the entire episode. So, discussion time. What did you think of this episode? I'm um, confused, and you never got me my answer. Well, the thing was, is he was retired. He was retired, and he was at the airport. No, no, that he is... had spent enough time after winning the lottery and arranging to buy this house no, in Miami. No, that wasn't my question, though. My question was not, what is Chow Ting doing? Because I know why Chow Ting wasn't picking up the laundry. I was wondering what in the world Carl thought he was doing. Because he mentions the prices are too high, and he's being punished for the prices... He doesn't control whether laundry gets delivered or picked up. So what does he think he's doing? Because he's acting like he's in control of this situation. But what does he think he's actually in control of? Because it's, oh, we need to stand the line or whatever it was he said to Sam when he's telling him to triple the prices. What does he think he's doing? Does he think he's... It's like a sit-in protest. But, like, he wants his stuff delivered. So, like, what is he doing? You know what I mean? Not paying? But if he already has the stuff at his place and he's already paid, so what is he actually physically doing that is he's somehow... Trying to outlast his guilt for Chow Ting to get there. I guess, but it's sad. Because at this like... rate, the guilt is just weighing on him like a thousand bricks. But he was going on about the money. But to raise his prices as though he was literally doing something to sort of protest the prices you know like stop using his services but that's clearly not what's really happening because shouting's like already won the lottery and has already been getting his affairs in order to retire in miami so the fact that shouting is not even there like sure he tripled his prices and that was punishment but like after that he is doing other things so that has like nothing to do with what's in carl gropper's mind like he is you know what he's doing He's shoveling that pile of sand. <laughs> That's what he's doing. Like he's shoveling it into my brain hole because I am very confused. Feels like my head is full of sand. But I think this is a good point of discussion that a lot of what is literally happening in this office is almost exclusively in Carl's head. He makes up a lot of narratives about the people around him. And of course, that includes Chow Ting. Like, Chow Ting, despite not physically being in this episode, has a very strong presence because Carl is constantly making up things that Chow Ting is thinking. You know, like, oh, he wants my soul. He wants to this wage and that. war against well, raging me. war. He has just putting all these things onto Chow Ting when. Really, he's busy. He's doing other things. Like, his life is not just laundry, you know? Because that's and, narcissism. For yeah. You. And at first, like, he was literally working too hard. And it's funny because Carl Gropper never really believed that that was the reason why he doubled his prices. But, like, he's changing into two shirts a day that we see of him in the bit, I guess, scene. He's constantly changing his shirts. So, of course, he needs to raise his prices. That's a whole lot of shirts he's getting. And he doesn't really believe that that's the reason why so it's like 
okay, why else would he be doing that? I mean, it's already pretty expensive, but he also does that with the kid's dad. So during the phone conversation with his son, he does two things in his head that don't exist in... What we can confirm. Yeah. And one is when he's talking to his 10-year-old son, he is literally telling the son that Joe Timmer, the man he has murdered, turned Billy, the other 10-year-old child, against him by using Billy. So he's told Billy, we kill seals. Tell Carl's son so that boy hates Carl. Now this is all in Carl's head. Mm -hmm. Like, there is no proof of this at all. Particularly when you find out later that at least Carl pretends that Joe Timmer was his friend. Mm -hmm. That the kids play together. So it kind of alludes to the fact that there might have been an actual friendly relationship between them. At least even if it was a farce to people who hate each other, who attend business luncheons together, whatever. That Mm. they may even pretend to like each other when they hate each other. But he does have this sort of two-faced relationship, kind of like he does with Sam. But either way, he creates this whole narrative around Joe Timmer causing his own son. I don't remember his son's name. Well, causing Carl's own son. Let's just call him Carl Jr. Causing Carl Jr. to hate him. But, like, that's not even true. As far as we know, he's 10 years old. He doesn't hate his father. He's not turned against him. He's just upset that he found that his company murders baby seals. Mm -hmm. And instead of taking any kind of responsibility for that, he weaves this story around Joe Timmer, this ex- business rival trying to get even with him mm-hmm. in this really convoluted way so it doesn't really exist like he just made all of this drama up in his head and joe timmer literally dies for this he gets murdered because of this he felt actual human agony as he tells his lawyer slash hitman and then of course everything he does with chow ting he just has these things going on in his head that just don't really match reality. So I guess I want to sort of say it like this. Do you think that Carl suffers from some sort of paranoia or otherwise some kind of a... There's a word for this. Well, keeping in mind, narcissism actually does have a, a section of it that kind of feeds these theoretical, like everybody's out to get me kind of thing because you know, I'm a perfect person who can do no wrong. And if anything happens to me and people don't like me, well, it's because they want to hate me for some reason I can't figure out because I'm a good person. And I feel like that's a big thing. But what little guilt he felt, you need to scrape that right off like the burnt part of toast. Yeah. You know what? That's (laughs) that just straight up made me think it's literally because he doesn't have guilt. Mm-hmm. Because think about it. If you do not think you have any blame, then why in the world would you think it has anything to do with you? Why would he think that has anything to do with the seals? Because he doesn't feel guilt about it, right? So if he doesn't feel guilty, then he didn't do anything wrong. And if he didn't do anything wrong, well, then it mustn't be his fault. It must be someone else's fault. Mm-hmm. So it's literally like not having guilt has kind of made him almost more paranoid or rather more willing to jump through all these hoops to make it everyone else's fault. Everyone else is out to get him because clearly he is guiltless. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a good point. So I have a quick discussion point huh? that I'd like to bring up. First of all, why is the doorknob in the middle of the door in Carl Gropper's office? I mean, because his life is a pile of sand. <laughs> okay you got me there but first actual real discussion question though with the weird context of james hong's character 
being that he is a mystical Chinese man who is able to take the guilt, not sin, guilt out of clothing and also apparently doesn't speak Chinese. What really is Chow Ting in this episode? Who is Chow Ting? Honestly, I believe that Chow Ting is just literally a normal human being who has these weird mystical ties. Like he has these either friends or methods. I feel like it's probably people or things that he knows because he says he does say we when he's referring to you must never ask how we do it. So it's not him doing it alone. There's actually other people. And then he mentions labor costs. So there are other people he's working with to get the guilt out. But we don't know who these people are. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're like fairies which Zachy will probably cover later. (laughs) Zachy very much believes that they are very fairy-like. I mean, I know nothing about Chinese mythology or things like that. I know very little about even, I guess, what is that, European mythology with fairies and stuff. Mm-hmm. But Zaki knows a whole lot of that. Yes. But either way, I think that Chow Ting himself is a normal person. He just has these ties and he uses it for his business. But why the sayonara? Straight up, I think it's because maybe he just does not speak Chinese at all. And he's just saying sayonara. You know what I mean? Like how people might just say it as a little oomph to their sentence like yeah i can see this one word that is in english you know what i mean like just for the heck of it and i feel like americans often use that word for that added oomph and i think Mm. that's just literally what he did he says sayonara just like anybody else would and the fact that he didn't use a chinese word was what threw carl off because just so y'all know we didn't mention any like specific instances but this episode is like full of casual racism towards chinese people particularly of course chow ting he is constantly saying like crappy little things about chow ting and he's not like insulting him exactly but it's just not cool yeah it's what i like to call casual racism Mm -hmm. where it's not even maybe not even intended to be be offensive, but it is offensive in that these are generally offensive stereotypes and passages, I guess. Yeah. That are aimed at the person's ethnicity. Exactly. Although one of the terms he uses is, I think nowadays actually considered super offensive. Yes. I mean, it wasn't, I probably wasn't necessarily offensive in the 80s. And I don't even think it was known to be offensive in the 90s because I grew up with that being a flavor of top ramen. Mm. <laughs> so, and you guys probably know what I'm talking about. But I had never known until I grew older that that was even an actually offensive term. So in this episode, I don't believe it's used. (laughs) It's weird, right? Because it is purposely offensive, but not for the exact reason that it's offensive now, (laughs) you know? So, but here's the thing. It's literally to show that Carl is a bad person for more than what he's doing with regards to his business. Like, he's a racist. And it's not necessarily called out, but I feel like the secretary kind of gets annoyed at something he says. And she kind of gets annoyed with that. And she's just, if you mean Chow Ting... No, but she's like actually annoyed and considering her behavior throughout this episode, I'm pretty sure she is not approving of his racism. So Mm. 
It's not like this episode just throws it in there because it thinks you're going to think it's funny. It's literally throwing it in there because Carl is a horrible person. Exactly. And that's why, like, I really appreciate the secretary's president. She's like, no, nah, that's, like, not cool. Again, like we mentioned in the previous episode, she's the taste of normality in this otherwise insane main character that really gauges how off the rails this main character is. Yeah, which I very much appreciate because it's quite possible that in the 80s, things like that would just be said without it being called out or people could see that kind of stuff and just think it's straight up funny. Mm. But like, even in this show... There's this character to sort of say, you know what, that really isn't funny. Of course, she doesn't say that to her boss, but she has that expression and that tone of voice that's telling us, the audience, and him, that it is not funny. Mm. So, yeah. But that was present in this episode, just for that little extra... Little bit to enjoy him splattering <laughs> the concrete. Yeah, you know, like, he really is a horrible person. We're like, we're not sad to see him go. <laughs> yeah, so I think Cho Ting is a normal person, and I... Fairies. <laughs> fairies. Why, why it relates. So there's a bit of fairy related mythology that is somewhat aligning with things in this episode, namely the list of rules that Chow Ting has about the Laundro's mat service and the weirdest small little snippet, something that I thought was one thing, but it's kind of another maybe. First of all, the whole list of rules, like you can't ask how we do this and you can't come back and this and that. Kind of fairy-related stuff. Give me an example. Pretend I know nothing about fairies, which is pretty close there, to the truth anyway. There are a grouping of fairies called domestic fairies. There are three types of fairies, solitary, trooping, and domestic fairies. Solitary fairies are things like leprechauns, which live on their own by themselves. There's trooping fairies, which are like pixies, and they live in colonies with each other like and away from us. And then there are domestic fairies, which live inside of houses. They're usually by themselves. And they do household chores and stuff. I don't want acknowledgement. They hate acknowledgement. The minute you acknowledge them or thank them for their work, they go bananas. They'll kill your dog. They will put a plague upon your house. They will do everything they can to ruin you. Mm -hmm. So you do not acknowledge them. That is kind of the same logic and rules that works in this particular episode. And something that kind of made me think that maybe that was an actual factor in this was the scene where Karl Gropper has the price list and he's looking at it and on his desk apparently is a Forbes magazine cover with a guy in a business suit with like a dunce cap but like a split second yeah it is quick it looks like some kind of gnome or typical elf outfit with a tall pointy cap and whatnot and I, I thought why would that be in that shot for that quick, if it wasn't like a subliminal message that maybe there is something magical at work behind the laundromat. Although, now that I think about it, it could be foreshadowing. Because this episode does have foreshadowing with Chow Ting watching that Wheel of Fortune kind of a show mm -hmm. where this woman basically wins the lottery. And he's like super invested in whether or not she'll win. And there's millions on the line. And he cares a lot. But... Of course, like, later he actually does win the lottery. So that's a bit of foreshadowing. And this could, considering he's a businessman wearing a dunce cap, could be referring to Carl. Because he's already almost breaking a rule. He's, like, holding that piece of paper, which later he will use to call Chow Ting, which is against the rules, actually asking, I wonder how he does it. And I'm pretty sure he breaks every rule except the don't tell a soul. I mean, he tells Sam Larchmop. He's already in the know of it. So does that really count? Maybe. I mean, if they are fairies... 
it probably does count because he said he would not tell a soul a soul it doesn't matter whether or not they already know right Hmm. so quite possibly that is breaking the rules so who knows either way it's possible it could be in reference to one or the other right like it could be a fairy but the business suit makes me think maybe it's referring to carl because already when he's asking i wonder how he does it we already know that that's i mean he's not asking him how he does it but he is asking it aloud so it's kind of like grazing against that rule it brings the idea of the rules into your mind at the same time you get to see a businessman wearing a dunce cap so it's mm-hmm. almost like it could be foreshadowing that he's going to be breaking rules because he's like an idiot you know mm-hmm. and there's actually one more thing i kind of want to talk about in this episode here and it has to do with the way this episode is structured and how it works because Nothing is, like, physically happening, right? There's, like, two episodes I can think of off the top of my head that do basically the same thing, and that's Answer Me and... The Odds. The Odds, okay. Answer Me and The Odds. Both of those are heavy on dialogue and very little changes. The scene hardly changes. Like, they're in the same physical location for the entire episode. So a lot of what is occurring has more to do with what gets understood about the characters, I guess, what's being revealed about them, and that changes. (laughs) It's been a while since I watched The Odds, but I would say in that episode, what you're learning about is, of course, who the stranger is, the Mm. unnamed guy who, or he is named, isn't he? But he goes by a different name, like he says he's the son of so-and-so, and he turns out to be that person's ghost. But you're learning more about him. And then with Answer Me, you're just getting annoyed. Like, I don't even remember. I just remember like, a phone ringing and just being super annoyed. But the, technically the perception of the room next door changes. Yeah. And then you're kind of learning more about her friend. Although that was kind of revealed more at the end as opposed to the been slowly end. developed. So that was like so done it's very, less connected. Yeah. So it's done very poorly because it could have been working that the entire time. This one, on the other hand has this very strong sense of not character development so much as character revelation. You're seeing how bad this man can be. It's a lot like the movie There Will Be Blood. I freaking love that movie. Not much literally happens in that movie, but you do see this moral decay decay of the main character. It is really excellent. But this has like that same kind of thing where Carl is clearly a bad person to begin with. I mean, I will say that with absolute certainty because he goes to Chowting to have his sins washed away so he can do whatever he wants. That is not what a good person does. Mm -hmm. A good person who realizes that they're becoming a bad person is going to try to change for the better. Carl says, how do I make myself worse? Like, how do I literally get rid of this pesky thing called a soul and guilt so I can actually become even more horrible of a person so I can get more money? Because, you know, for Carl, that's all it is. Like, that's why he was so angry about the tripled prices when Sam says it's only money. So there's something more important to Sam. And I do not know what the heck it is for Sam when you think about it. What does a businessman want to get rid of guilt for other than to become more rich? Just peace of mind for the stuff he's already done? Maybe. But either way so he's a bad person and he gets worse when he is talking to his son it's just really awful like i felt really horrible listening to it of course you have your secretary there also being like shocked and horrified but he also feels bad because he changes his shirt 
like immediately afterwards. But he literally gets worse. He becomes more paranoid. So this episode is solely character driven, but it's kind of unpeeling what this man is. He gets to the point where he's asking Chow Ting, can you get rid of my sins? Can you get rid of my guilt so I can do whatever you want? Because this is him acknowledging that he has guilt, right? That doing bad makes him feel bad. At the very end, he actually straight up calls Chow Ting to say, you can have my soul. Just give me my laundry. And that's like the biggest revelation, right? It's essentially this idea that he's making a deal with the devil. Of course, he isn't making a deal with the devil because Chow Ting is just an old guy, supposedly. As far as we know. Yeah, I mean, if he is the devil, then he just got two souls because immediately they killed themselves, right? <laughs> I don't think that. So I think that is a kind of interesting aspect of, I guess, a horror anthology episode. So that's really what I personally wanted to say about that. But my question to you, Zachy, mm-hmm. now after I just had my 10 minute long spiel here, what is your opinion on this kind of episode in general? This strongly character-driven. And how well do you think this episode stood up against the likes of Answer Me or even The Odds? I think it might be a bit of a hot take here. But I feel like this is the second worst way to do it. Hmm. I feel like The Odds is actually a good way of doing it. Well, yeah, there's multiple characters too. Multiple characters. There's something more at stake with what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's like a reputation and pride on the line for all of these bets as well as money. So there's a lot at stake with any given bet that succeeds on the stranger's part. With Answer Me, it's the worst because there's just nothing going on. And all the revelation is she just doesn't like the knocking on the door in the (laughs) wind. That's it. That's like 90% of the episode is nothing. Mm. This episode is about 50% actual development. And 50% complaining about the laundry not being done (laughs) and nothing really happening that's high stakes other than feeling guilty, Mm -hmm. which is something a lot worse people do with the same amount of success with guilt. Yeah. You know, so. they don't have like magic laundromats to get rid of their guilt. They just do it. Exactly. So it's like there's a lot less at stake for this episode and thus kind of deflates what's actually happening a bit. Hmm. So while I'm not going to say it's a great episode, it's an all right one because of James Hong, of course, (laughs) but outside of James Hong, if you just kind of had him a silent voice on the phone, just like almost everybody else in the episode, this would kind of be a dumpy episode. Mm -hmm. Although I got to say, I do admire the fact that with regards to stakes, right? There isn't any, but Carl builds up this war in his mind against Chow Ting that ultimately at the end was revealed to straight up not exist, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he just won the lottery. He's giving up laundry. Like, he just was creating this big enemy out of Chow Ting when he's just this overworked laundromat guy who just so happens win the lottery and was busy. So he wasn't delivering laundry. So it builds up Chow Ting as a character throughout this episode, almost more so than it does Carl as this enemy of Carl. Now, keep in mind, that doesn't mean that Chow Ting is a bad guy. He's this antagonistic force to a really bad guy. Mm-hmm. So, like, he's not a villain or anything, but it's just that kind of interesting buildup of this villain and this non-existent struggle. And it wasn't real. <laughs> but I gotta say, <laughs> aside from just that, at the very least, he's talking on the phone. Unlike Answer Me, where there is a phone, but she's talking to herself mm-hmm. most of the time. And when she's talking to herself just for the heck of it, 
there's not even a pet. At least Carl has a little pet that he's talking to half the time when he's talking to himself. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I wish they would have done that and answer me. Yes. And speaking of episode, what would you rate this episode on a scale from one to five? I mean, I think I would rate it a three and a half stars. I kind of go back and forth between whether or not I feel like I'd like this episode. Because sometimes I find it really confusing. If I think too hard about it, it's like, I don't understand it. Carl says so many things that make no sense. But James Hong. But James Hong is so great. I love the, I don't know, just like this weird level of friendliness and just like your average guy-ness to really compliment and be opposite to Carl. And at the same time, he's like mystical because of this weird stuff he can do. But also comes across as very normal, you know, just completely average. And also at the end, super creepy, mm-hmm. you know, like that. Gosh, went I mean, to pieces. Yeah. yeah, it's oh, I wish you guys could hear it. It is literally good delivery of that line, mm-hmm. considering what had just happened. So I feel like three and a half stars, slightly above average. And most of those stars just straight up go to James Hong himself. Yes. So that is where I would put it. I would say I would recommend it just because of James Hong. Mm -hmm. It is a fairly decent episode and it does work to kind of add to the brew of Tales from the Dark Side bullion. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like if you you chuck it all in there, you get a better taste of what Tales from the Dark Side is. Yeah. I mean, if you just cherry pick Tales from the Dark Side, you'll think this is a much better show than it is. (laughs) So you Mm got to put some of these like average ones in there so you really know but with the bonus of james hong right like yes because that's that's what it is sometimes like sometimes you just get a good actor that is in this episode and they really elevate it it's very watchable mm-hmm. at the very least and like i said james hong is in it so just like when you have those little box of chocolates filled with toothpaste <laughs> and there's one that's really good yes. that's this episode and that one is the good one is james hong speaking of terrible tasting things inside of boxes Valina, what is our next episode? Oh, the next episode is the truest horror you'll ever watch in this show, or at least this season, and it's called Bigelow's Last Smoke. It is an episode all about quitting smoking. Rehab from hell. Yes, it is intense. You may never have smoked a day in your life. You may not approve of smoking. I don't smoke. Neither um, of us do. We don't, we don't smoke. We don't know anyone really who smokes, at least not in our family. But you just want him to have a cigarette. Like, what kind of horrific monsters are doing this to him? Like, dang, just let him have a smoke. <laughs> They're, like, doing this just horrendous cold turkey. Nightmare psychological warfare kind of yes. tactics. And it's amazing. It's brutal. And it's just a really good and fun episode. And the ending is chef's kiss horror. Yes. So keep an ear out for that (laughs) because that one is going to be a fun one. Oh, yeah. For us, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So, Valina, if you want to get your laundry done, where do you go? Well, you can send any of your laundry to thishousepodcast at gmail.com. But please do not ever return. And if you want to see us air out our dirty laundry, then you could do so by visiting us on Instagram at thishousepodcast. But again, don't ever, ever ask us how we do it. Don't you tell a soul either. This podcast is for your ears and your ears alone. Please. Rate and review us on iTunes. Laundry-related pun.
Oh, and subscribe if you haven't already. So that way you can get onto our subscriber list and we can keep you up to date with our laundry prices, whether we double it or triple it. And don't worry about when the next episode will come. We will release one based on your needs. And we'll know. That's all for tonight's episode. So, listeners, before the both of us end up leaving a stain... <laughs> get out of here.